Welcome to A Kenyan's Experience, a podcast for Kenyans by Kenyans. In this podcast, we use real, raw, and personal journeys to provide you with the knowledge and the power to demystify, simplify, and make better decisions about your academic and professional future. They say experience is the best teacher. Well, here you'll hear about the experiences of Kenyan nationals who've navigated the academic and professional worlds, both locally in Kenya and in the diaspora. This podcast is relevant for everyone at any point in their academic or career path, from high schoolers to university students to industry professionals, and even those looking to pivot later in their careers. Here at the Kenyans Experience, we ask the questions you wish you had answers to before you started your academic or professional journey, before you made that life-changing big decision and we normalize making bold decisions for you. So tune in for a once-weekly episode that will leave you inspired, challenged, and laughing as Kenyans tell their stories here on A Kenyan's Experience. Hi, guys. Welcome back to another episode of A Kenyan's Experience. Um, so exciting to have you guys back on. We're so excited to be recording again. Um, I'm Cynthia. I'm one of your co-hosts and I'm joined by Dennis and Angela. Say hello, guys. Hello. Hello. Hi, Hi everyone. Hi. Uh, guys, we're back for season four. We didn't think we would be recording this many seasons since we started in right. 2021. Right. And it's only been two yeah. years. It's, it's not even a full two years in our fourth season. That's a bit wild. <laughs> Can you imagine? Um, so yeah, today we'll be kicking off with um, one of our other co-hosts, a sibling. I think this is going to be because, well, we have a couple of things in store for you for this season. Um, we'll let you guys figure it out later on. Um, but Angela is Eric's mm-hmm. younger sister. Um, and I think we're very excited to have her on this podcast because she's wildly different from her brother. She's got her own story, which I think everyone should be hearing. Um, and so I think without further ado, um, Angela, what is your origin story? <laughs> so, I mean, thank you for that intro and big shout out to you, Eric. <laughs> Yeah, so um, my name is Angela Shauri, and I like to describe myself as a visual artist and an architectural designer pursuing a path in creative technology. So creative technology is basically the intersection of creativity, technology, and every imaginable crossover. And I was born and raised in Nairobi, Kenya, into such a loving family with two older brothers, Eric being one of them, and... I started off my primary education at Kianda School here in Nairobi, where I sat for my KCP exams in the year 2010. And soon after that, I joined the Aga Khan Academy for my IGCSEs and my IB education. And then I was fortunate enough to be able to go to Scotland and study architecture, where I was able to attain my bachelor's and master's in architecture, graduating in the year 2019. And I have since returned home where I have been working in this space of creative technology. And I'm sure we'll get more into that during the chat. Yeah. Yeah. That's nice. my origin story. I think that is the best origin story I've heard. It's, <laughs> it's well, it's very succinct, very yeah. put together. Have you been practicing? <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I, I did have a think about it, and I've, I've had to answer that question quite a bit in the past few months, and ah, you'll get nice. to understand why <laughs> yeah, as we get along in this conversation. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice. So, throwing it all the way back, Angela, um, what was your earliest memory um, where you, you sort of had the courage to choose your path um, that on reflection has led to where you are now? Okay, so my earliest memory, well, I mean, I wouldn't say it's necessarily a particular memory, but more of a, a chain of events. But um, I mean, to be very honest, I would say that choosing to pursue architecture for me was partly like the blessing and curse of like the 844 system, because I'm sure many of us know how it's a bit infamous of really placing students in one out of five different professions, <laughs> regardless <laughs> yeah. of what you're good at. So I feel like I really thrived in math and physics from an early age. And I love those two subjects because my dad always did a lot of scientific stuff um, for his own interests, but he really involved us in the process. So that's something that I came to like from an early age and pursued that in school wherever I could. And then somewhere along the way, I really became passionate about art. And um, I had a cousin who had gone to the Aga Khan Academy when I was younger, and she had been exposed to visual arts as an actual subject in school. So I remember going through her, her drawing books and just literally tracing over the stuff she was drawing, like coming to understand how colors are made from you know the basic primary colors. And my eldest brother called Steve. Um, I'm sure he doesn't know this, but he also did art at St. Mary's and I'd go through his art books and literally trace over the stuff he was doing. And I guess that was my earliest exposure just into that space of art. And um, yeah, since then, I, I became more interested in it. I'd look at each time I'd get a book or a magazine, I'd literally trace cartoon characters from them. And before I knew it, I had developed this interest that was really being um, enriched by people around me without them knowing it. So as I got to school and I went to high school and I had to choose subjects in school, I, I settled on subjects that I was really strong at. And that basically gave me um, the courage to just pursue architecture. I felt like I was good at it and that would be a natural tran uh, transition from primary into a profession. Yeah. 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 I mean, you say it, it might sound like an ignorant question, but you do architecture and that involves a lot of physics and math, right? Right. It does. It does. Okay. Because I was going to say being a creative and then with the subjects of physics and math, which a lot of people think are not creative subjects, but when you do <laughs> architecture, then it does open up a lot of creativity in that aspect. Were you ever tempted to do anything else other than architecture, especially with the desire with maths and physics? No, like funny enough, um, uh, I've always just been passionate about architecture. There's no other career I thought of doing. In fact, the only nice. time I considered a different career was while I was studying architecture. I was like, is this what I really want to do? <laughs> yeah, but until then, I felt like there was nothing else ideally that would work for me. 
But yeah. as I say, I, I recognize that it was also a lot of um, the limitation that the traditional 844 system had for students, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. And based on the history of our country and like what our parents have been going through, through the, what, or rather what they went through during that time, yeah. um, I didn't think that I really had many other options besides those. Mm -hmm. And if I had to pick one, then architecture it was. It's really cool. It's really cool. Yeah. There's, there's, there's that design, that passion for something at an early age and sticking yeah. with it. And it's good that it comes from what you studied in, in school. And as you say, in the system, the Kenyan system as it is, yeah. being very strict and only offering a certain <laughs> avenue of career choices, the way it's built. Right. Yeah, but yeah, it's good that definitely. you managed to, to stick with, with that. So you did um, a competition in high school, a visual arts competition. Mm-hmm. Tell us about it. Right. So um, I really, it wasn't necessarily just one particular visual arts competition in high school. But what I would say was, um, like, I, as I mentioned, I had gone to Kanda School for my primary education. And anyone who knows that school knows that it's an all-girls Catholic school, um, very good on discipline and academia but not very strong on individuality and self-expression. And then when I became a teenager, obviously going through, through puberty, you know, those yeah. really formative years, I transferred to the Aga Khan Academy. And for me, that was such a dynamic change that was so transformative. And mm -hmm. it was a multicultural school, a multi-religious school that was still very good on discipline and academia, but it was more liberal and more um, open-minded in the way it raised kids. So I think while I was there, I took any opportunity to pursue my passions because I felt like I had the permission and the space to in that environment. Mm -hmm. And I was actively engaging in various art competitions, just doing artwork that would go around the school and be posted anywhere possible. And... Yeah, I think that's what I can say about that, at least in terms of art in school. Nice. It sounds like you've had, like the words that you use, I think are quite interesting because you have such interesting descriptive words and adjectives mm -hmm. um, regarding your experience so far. And I think it's very telling of the sort of like self-awareness that you've had. And it sounds like you've had this self-awareness from an early age to so, like, Going back to when you were moving from Kianda to Aga Khan, I know Eric was also in Aga Khan as well, and Gadoni was as well. Um, and I was just wondering, was that sort of, was that an intentional choice that you made and told your parents like, hey, I think this is something that'd be really good for me? Or was it sort of like an opportunity that came about and then eventually became a blessing for you? Um, yeah, I would say it was definitely both an opportunity and also an opportunity that came but it was also very intentional because um mm -hmm. uh you know for me i'm a last born and i think last borns have this we tend to follow the trajectory that is set before us by our older siblings yeah. and like my eldest brother never went he did 844 throughout all the way to high school but when eric got to high school he got the opportunity to go to Aga Khan and I believe that my parents saw what that was doing for him 
So when I finished my 844, or my class 8 rather, I started toying with a round of going to an, toying around rather with the idea of going to another school. And my parents didn't make it seem like it was really an option for me. I think they had this culture of, <laughs> of like, you don't just get what you want. You kind of have to justify where you want it. And yeah. I mean, in yeah. addition to me giving them all the reasons, using art as one of the major <laughs> excuses as to why I wanted to switch systems mm-hmm. and... Yeah, I think Eric was also really thriving in that system, as I'd mentioned. So it didn't need too much mm. uh, deliberation in terms of where to go. And I think Aga Khan is also a school that's quite reputable for its discipline and academia. You know, we'd make jokes with my friends that it's the closest British system school that you can get um, <laughs> to eight for four, you know. <laughs> yeah, so... Yeah. Yeah, that's that's what happened for me. And I really don't regret going there. I think it opened up my mind in ways that I can't explain. And some of the people mm-hmm. who are probably there since their primary years probably don't understand how much of a, you know, a, a great opportunity it would be to be in such a space. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting you say that, uh, Angela. I went through a similar thing as well. I'm also uh, the last born. I have an older brother. So he started off in St. Christopher's, as in St. Christopher's, and then he went to Hillcrest. Yeah. And then my parents didn't give me much of a choice. Like, I think after I finished year 10, they were like, dude, you're going to Hillcrest as well. <laughs> you're right. for your brother. So yeah. it's it's that thing of you want to branch out, but then since there's an older sibling and you can see that it's working for them, you also right. make that decision to switch schools. Cynthia, actually, was that the same for you and you being the older sibling? Did you see that with your younger brother? Um, so for my family, um, after so I'd been in St. Austin's for, I think, 11 years. So I was there from kindergarten, then I left after year eight. And Brabant Garden Estate opened up, and that was because, I mean, waking up at five in the morning for nothing was not fun. <laughs> so I think when we saw the opportunity to be waking up at, like, 6.30, we were like, where? We need to jump on this ship right now. Um, and so I just told my mom, I think we saw the signboard coming back from, like, church or, like, Saritzent or something. And um, I was like, oh, we should really look into that school. And I think, I don't know, I think it's because I was the oldest. I'm like... So I'm the middle child at the moment. Um, And so I think having older siblings who are like way older than me meant that I sort of had a a voice because I was forced to grow up sort of at their pace as well. Um, And it instilled a confidence in me to sort of like ask for what I want. And so I was just like, listen, um, we're going to the school. (laughs) And so I actually had to go sit down with the principal in his office and I was asking him questions as if I was the parent. Um, and I think it was a bit awkward for him. He was like, why is this like 13 year old child <laughs> interviewing me <laughs> for her and her sibling to come to this school? Um, and so I think from then it was sort of just like I made the decision. I filled in the forms, actually, which is a bit wild. I don't know what my parents are doing. Um, I filled in the forms to move to Braben. And then when I moved to Hillcrest after my IGCSEs at Braben, because I didn't want to do IB, which is what Braben Garden Estate offered, and Aga Khan was the other closest one, Borneo for IB as well. Hillcrest was fur- was further, but then I was like, I'd rather just do A-levels than IB because I'm not about that <laughs> life. Um, shout out to people who are. <laughs> um, but so, yeah, I think when I moved to Hillcrest and Jean was still at 
um, Brave and Garden State was IGCSEs. I literally sat my parents and I was like, listen, Hillcrest, if you thought Brave and Garden State was good, Hillcrest is even better because the opportunities here are so different. Um, people just think very differently. And I think this is what you're talking about, Dennis. It's just, I saw something and I was like, I need to bring yeah. my other sibling onto this mm. ship right now. Yeah. Um, and I think it's interesting that we all sort of had this confidence that I, I don't know if people who are my age mates here in the UK would relate to in terms of being able to make these active choices about mm. our future, which I think in the moment don't really seem that big, but it's just sort of that making that intentional decision, but also mixed in with a blessing, like you said, Angela, that ultimately shapes your life and leads you to places that you'd have never fathomed. 100%. Yeah, that, yeah. yeah that sounds good, Cynthia. It's very relatable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, so Anjali, you did IB. Um, you did from, from IGCSE and then you went to IB. Yes, I did. How was the IB experience, especially with the career path that you chose and what you were studying at the time? Right, so so IB was something that I actually intended to, I mean, intentionally chose to do. And really? Oh, wow. Yeah. You actually made that decision. Oh. I actually made that decision. And <laughs> I think part of why I did that was because um, coming from 844 to IGCSE, it was, I don't know, I found IGCSE quite easier than 844, so to say. Mm. Um, not in terms of like the knowledge or learning, but in terms of how it was being tested. And it's something that right. I really appreciated and respected because it we didn't have to cram stuff anymore. It was more about understanding. Yeah. And I really yeah. fell in love with learning. Like, I, mm. I love learning so much. Like, I'm not one of those kids who hated school. I never had any issues with, with school. Um, my mom walked out of town for so many years while we are in school, like, throughout my whole uh, primary and high school life. And she never got worried about signing my diary or whether I'm doing my homework or not. She never even asked me about my grades until I got to university, you know. So um, I, I think I was looking for a challenge, you know, that was more than what I was experiencing in Aga Khan. And I saw like A levels was, <laughs> sorry, Cynthia, but I saw like it was an easy way out. <laughs> Yeah, at the yeah, time, <laughs> yeah, yeah, at the time, but also I came to understand it's because that's also designed more for people who already have this idea of what exactly it is that they want to do. So yeah. you kind of focus yeah. on those things instead of doing a whole general mm -hmm. course. So for me, I knew I wanted to do architecture, but I felt like there's so much more I wanted to learn before actually committing to this architecture thing. And that's one of the main reasons why I chose IB for the challenge and also just to have a bit more. Uh, breadth in terms of what I could choose for myself um, for yeah. university and I'd say that IB didn't really help me choose what to study as I mentioned but it mentally prepared me for the workload and the discipline mm. and independence of university life um, I remember learning how to write essays in university and this was really part of our everyday like schedule back at IB so that was the advantage that it had for me and I'd say it was an, advan an advantage also because of the course that I went to do like architecture it requires a lot of discipline a lot of independent working and a lot of critical thinking it's not about what's right and what's wrong like 
in term, in the exams, it's more about coursework and how you do your coursework projects, how you manage your work throughout the year, and you get a single grade for everything you've done throughout the year, you know? Passing and failing yeah. wasn't based on a single exam. It was based on your whole progression throughout the year. So, yeah, that's that's how IB was really <laughs> helpful for me, and I saw that it was the, the right thing for me to do. Yeah. Are you secretly being paid by Because <laughs> you're sending it to me. Like, I'm just sort of like, maybe I should go back to do IB and yeah. then go back to uni. Yeah, no, which is why I put the emphasis on architecture because architecture is really a mm. coursework project. It's not like medicine where there's, it's right That's or wrong. True. You can't really mm. be turn yeah. in your own creativity into into your your profession. So, yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. It's you, you not for everyone, the... I can guarantee that. Yeah, it's not Definitely. necessary for everyone. Definitely. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm still scared of it and uh, yeah. past that stage, but I'm still terrified of IB. For, like, I know yeah. it was just <laughs> a lot yeah. of. You say you're interested in learning and you love learning. Yeah. So if you love learning, if you hadn't done architecture mm-hmm. and it was just another subject, would you still have gone the IB route? Um, yeah, I think just based on my experience at Aga Khan. Um, yeah. And by the time I was at Aga Khan, I don't know if um, if the other co-hosts who are in the school recall, but they were really trying to phase out the IGCSE system and mm. to make it a fully IB integrated school all the way from primary to like towards university. So. Yeah. Yeah, I think they really sold IB to us and I'm one of the people who, <laughs> who bought into it. Like I saw the value. I liked how it was making you question a lot of things that mm. you were experiencing, a lot of the reasons why you know things and stuff like that. So I feel regardless of whatever it was going, I was going to study at the time, I would have definitely done IB. And nice. yeah. Yeah, in fact, just a side note, I actually went to see whether there's a course at university that is like called theory of knowledge because I really like theory of wow. knowledge in IB, wow. which is just a theory of, of knowing. It's it's that. Yeah. How do you know things and why do you know them? Yeah, so I was like, I'd, I wouldn't mind pursuing that at university, just constantly questioning myself, but I realized it's it's kind of like philosophy, which is not what I really wanted to do. Mm. So yeah. I was yeah. gonna say yeah yeah right um so it sounds I mean I think I tried to I tried to ask this question before but I didn't phrase it properly how how were you able to find sort of like the confidence in order to in order to find your voice I guess in terms of art and architecture and you know because I feel like so I I wouldn't call myself a writer but like I dabble in writing and I, I think the one thing I'm basically asking this question for myself as I always do on this podcast, <laughs> but how would you, uh, how do you constantly remind yourself and convince yourself that what you're doing is, is worthy of being shown to other people? Cause I think in terms of like medicine, it's so simple. I'm, I'm constantly telling people like the sciences, you know, the stems, it's basically right and wrong. Like you said, there's very little to do with actually a self-portrayal um, or self-expression of who you are. Um, whereas like with art, with architecture, it's something that comes so much from within. Um, and so I, I guess my question is, it sounds like from an early age, you had this confidence, you had this distinct self-awareness of like, this is 
what I bring to the table and it's worthy to be seen by other people. Was that something that was instilled in you by your parents, um, your siblings? Because I know like Eric, you know, he's a musician. Um, he's a creative in his own right. Um, so was this something that comes from a familial background, something that was instilled in you? Or was it something that along the way you just built? And some people are just like naturally confident as well. Um, yeah, so in terms of that confidence and that self-expression, I'd say that the first thing that gave me that validation or that confidence was definitely like my parents really nurturing that passion in me. I don't think it's anything that they ever thought I would pursue at a professional level. It was more of a side hustle, of a passion that I had, a hobby. And I recall that, you know, when you're young, there's a lot of stuff that you become interested in and you feel the need to pursue. And yeah. like my dad would would ask me questions like, why do you want this particular materials or why do you want this equipment? And I'd have to justify it. And he'd set a date and tell me, like, we'll go by it next month. And by the time that month is done, there's some things I wouldn't be interested in, but I'd always, like stay fixated on the art things and I'd remind him I'd be like you said we'd go buy it this month so let's go buy it and before long it became something that I didn't need to justify so much because I always had something to show for it and I can't tell you why to be honest but looking back it's really I feel like it's it's a gift that I was born with and a particular natural interest in that art form it's something that even when I fail I feel the need to work harder at so that I can improve and I never feel the, the need to kind of abandon ship and try something different so there's that side of it that's beyond me I can't explain why I'm so passionate about it but I was also it's something that I, that was nurtured and encouraged as I was growing up and then the older I got, the more I noticed that it's something that people do less and less in formal spaces. It's people, it's things, it's something that people study less at higher education level. Like by the time I was doing my IB, we were, we were literally two people in my art class doing art at higher level, you know? So like I loved that first of all, because I'm I'm quite introverted and I love working independently. So that experience for me was very good, but it was validating in a sense that not many people do this or can do this or have the opportunity to do this. So if I do have the opportunity and I'm passionate about it, then what's stopping me from pursuing um, the art side of things, you yeah. know? And, and then art is also something that it's, it's based a lot on theory and quite a lot also on visual presentation of ideas but it also involves like a lot of community stuff it requires you to be meeting different kinds of people in different places to yeah. be solving different kinds of problems with art and it's something that i came to realize the more i grew and mm -hmm. explored art as a subject and I think especially during the pandemic, um, people came to realize how important creativity is in their lives. And by yeah. that time, I had already committed to just pursuing art as not just a career, but as a lifestyle. In many of the things I do, I try to incorporate like art. So, I mean, I can tell you a lot about my own university experience while I was at 
while I was in Scotland studying architecture that mm-hmm. made me that made like this whole thing more validating to me in terms of actually pursuing it. Yeah, yeah but I hope what I've said so far just makes sense and gives a it good does. idea, yeah, of yeah how it got me to where I am right now. Yeah, and I think I could be wrong, but I think you're our first guest that has gone through 844, then IUCSCs, and then IB. I mean, those are very three different, unique areas of learning. Most of our guests have really just stuck to one path and then gone and followed through with it. So when it comes to now your university life, what influenced your decision of choosing Edinburgh and Scotland? Right, okay, so um, obviously while I was about to finish my IB, um, it gets to a point where you have to decide what's next and even before you finish your studies, you have to have an idea of like where you want to go and what it's going to take to get there. So mm-hmm. um, the, the fact that I was there in a, a place with many different kinds of people, I... I felt like my possibilities possibilities were unlimited and I think I'd also proven to my parents that I take school very seriously. So they had insinuated that whatever it was that I, I wished to do, we, we could obviously find a way around it, you know, to make it possible for me. So I applied to various universities, just being open-minded about where I would want to go for universities, even locally. But one yeah. thing I knew for sure was that I wanted to study architecture. And I came to realize that as many universities and colleges as there in Kenya, there's only three current ones that offer architecture at university level, right? Mm-hmm. And at the time when I was applying for unis, there were only two of them. So that's either University of Nairobi or JQuat. Right yeah. now, at least there's Kenyatta University here. But um, yeah. I also saw that it would have been a bit of a frustrating progress uh, process rather getting into a local university after doing IGCSEs and then doing IB and then reverting to the 844 system. Yeah. Not that some people didn't do it, but it would you'd have to pick a different kind of schedule to do that course or at least wait a whole year before you can start it. And yeah, I think I was just ready to keep up with the momentum of finishing my studies as soon as possible. Yeah, I say I really loved school, but I wasn't planning to be in school for the rest of my life. So I was looking for the quickest way out as well, with the most um, accomplishments rather. So going to the UK was also, it had a lot to do with proximity and realizing that in, in other continents, like in America, it's not very common for someone to study architecture at undergraduate level. They encourage you to do a different kind of course and then maybe at postgraduate level you can work, you can study architecture. And certain places in Europe are also the same. So I think for me, the UK was the most ideal place to go in terms of how regulated it was. It was the closest to the system that they had here in Kenya. Yeah. And... Since I knew I wanted to study architecture, I was looking into universities that are, are well known for the architecture course. And mm. that started leading me northwards towards Scotland, as opposed to towards England and the rest. So 
I applied to universities in Scotland, five different universities. I got accepted into three of them. Nice. Um, yeah, one at Aberdeen, one at Glasgow, and one at Edinburgh. And the the thing that made me make my final decision was literally looking at the breakdown of this course content, seeing exactly what it was that they were going to teach for the next for like for the next three to five years, and deciding off of that. And I came to realize that architecture is actually quite diverse, right? That's yeah. when I noticed the trap that I had put myself in, although it wasn't a bad <laughs> trap. But yeah, I think here in Kenya, they really put architecture into one box. But when you go out there, you realize that there's different forms of architecture. Like there's a Bachelor of Science in architecture. There's a Bachelor of Arts in architecture. There's a Bachelor of Architectural mm. Studies. You know, all these things wow. are completely different. They take yeah. different amounts of time and they lead you towards different ends, you know. And some of them lead you more towards the construction industry. Some lead you more into the media and entertainment industry. Some lead you more into traditional architecture. And yeah, so that was how I ended up going to Edinburgh. For me, I really wanted to go to a place where I could have a whole new experience, not to mm. go to a place where I'd meet a hundred other Kenyans there and then still just keep <laughs> embracing the Kenyan culture. Not, yeah, yeah, I mean, not that it's anything bad, but I think just based yeah. on what I had learned in IB, like I had become such a free thinker that I was ready to just go mm. and chart my own path. And I mean, there were consequences to this decision, which I'll probably talk about later. You know, going to a place where you know no one and where there are barely any yeah. other Kenyans or yeah. people of your similar background. Yeah, but I'd say that's ideally what made me go to Edinburgh. It wasn't just a random decision, but it was very intentional Um looking at what I wanted to achieve in terms of, of architecture and then working backwards to see what would be the right place for me to go to pursue this yeah. Um, course. Yeah. I've ranted so many times on this podcast, Cynthia, you know this as well, about going to a university and there are very many Kenyans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's yeah, it's yeah. not a bad thing, but yeah. It was, it's not, yeah, yeah. Just something different. I was really I mean, eager for something different. When you go different. through it and there are many of them, it can be a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. 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 So I mean that's that's that yeah in terms of ending up there in Edinburgh. Mm. And what was the Bachelor of Arts? Like what was it a, about that specific degree, a Bachelor of Arts in architecture as opposed to, you know, you mentioned like a bachelor, you know, like there's different types. What was it about the Bachelor of Arts that attracted you to it? So the thing about architecture that I I didn't want to do was to, I think, okay, let me just take you back to when I was finishing university and deciding like where, or rather finishing high school and deciding about university. I think I spoke to a few relatives and, you know, people who are architects and I mentioned to them that I wanted to pursue architecture and there was something they kept saying about architecture is not really what you think it is, you know? And I found that quite discouraging. I'm like, why are they telling me mm -hmm. this even before I start? But now, as I'm telling you, when I was settling on the particular course, that's when I came to see the difference. And so in terms of like the Bachelor of Science in architecture, that's something that they do a lot like in Europe, in Germany, in 
in Spain. And what it means is there's a lot of focus on the technical side of things, like mm. the engineering and the numbers and the calculations and a lot of structural design. And yeah. that's where the physics and the math comes in heavily. And these people typically end up becoming architects and working a lot with the engineers, you know, and the construction industry experts. And there's this other side that I ended up pursuing, which was the Bachelor of Arts in Architecture and the Master of Arts in Architecture, which is more focused on the design side of things as opposed to the, the structural side of things. And I remember during my first lecture, our, our lecturer told us that your work as architects is, is to design whatever you want to design and the engineers are going to figure out how to build it. Yeah. So that's basically in yeah in simple terms like the main difference. One is heavily related to the theory of art and design and the history of architecture, and the other one is so it's more liberal. And then the other one is very technical. Like exams are based a lot on calculations and numbers and that other side of theory in architecture. Yeah. Would you say then that you struggle to sort of, because you mentioned that you loved maths and physics, would you say that you, you sort of struggled, you had like an inward struggle or maybe you had to take a moment to take a step back and think like, because I definitely have moments because medicine is very heavy on the biology as opposed to the maths and I loved maths. Um, and I think I sort of had to have a conversation with myself like am I really willing to let this go because I've done very little math since I started university eight years ago nine years ago now so was it something that you had to sort of be like okay Angela are we are we gonna pursue art are we gonna pursue maths and physics and and decide what was more valuable for you and what was a true reflection of who you are in that moment and what you wanted for yourself yeah, I definitely had that back and forth. I feel like I consulted a few people around me indirectly, like asking them, what would you do if you're in this position, without telling them that that's the, the position I was in. And I don't know, I think what it came down to was really just reading the breakdown of every particular year, like the breakdown of the course of what we're going to cover, um, and seeing projects of people that had been there before. And I had to take this gamble because I was like, if I do the, the one that's very technical, I feel I'm going to keep having to struggle to pursue my art in one way or another. Well, this other one is still going to have to cover the basics of the technical side of things, but the main focus is on the design and the integration of this design and exposing you to think more critically about the design aspect, not just production, production, production and construction. So um, I came to realize also, I was asking myself, like, what is it that I really want? Is it more of the accolades and the title of being an architect or is it more of the lifestyle and the you know, the actual projects that I'm doing, the people that I'm meeting and yeah. like the mark mm. that I'm leaving on the, the earth that is leading me towards this side of things. And then while I was at IB as well, um, I remember part of our art course since I did art at higher level, like the visual part was probably only 30% of the total grade, but the rest of it was 
theory and really justifying why you're doing this thing, really understanding your duty as an artist, understanding the history mm. of art, the impact of art, you know, the economic side of art. So I don't know, by the time I was deciding to pursue the Bachelor and the Master of Arts in Architecture, I knew what it was that I wanted out of the career. And I was like, the only advantage that Havan might give me was putting me down the traditional path of you go to school, you you know, you get a job, you work with architects, you become a registered architect, then you start pursuing your own projects. But this Havan can allow you to work with multidisciplinary like people. You can work yeah. with entertainers, media students, you can work with coders, and you can still be an architect at the end of the day. So... That for me was more important than just the seriousness of, you know, architecture itself. Yeah, and that's what I mean, it, really guided my decision. I mean, and that sounds like a really tough decision as well, because like you mentioned, one of them takes you down this traditional route where thousands, millions of people have laid down the path for you. It's like you finish, you know, architecture and then you automatically have a job as an architect in your own right. And then you go into firms and you build your name and et cetera, et cetera. Whereas like this route that you've chosen, this path that's not been chosen before, you know, it's basically like blank screen essentially. And it's sort of like you have to make your own name. Was it something that Worried you knowing that you've got traditional African parents, they've put a lot of money into your degree, into your education, into your life. And it's sort of like there's a big question mark on what comes after that. And was it something that you had to have a frank conversation with your family about or did that come a little bit later? Um, yeah, so in terms of having the frank conversation like with my family and stuff, I think that really came when I was done with university and, you know, when when basically people are hands off of your business because they've done their part and it's now up to you to do whatever you want to do. I think mm. that's the one time mm. I really did engage my family in this decision and they made it clear to me that they've done their part, you know, and it's up to me to decide what it is that I wanted to do. But before I got mm -hmm. to that resolve, um, I did go through a lot of, you know, debating in my own head, a lot of contemplation. And uh, as I mentioned, I was really out there in Scotland. Like it, it was terribly cold. Like the pathetic fallacy was no joke <laughs> in terms of how I was feeling <laughs> and how the environment was. But I think I also came to realize how much agency I had in my own life and how I'm really out there on my own and whatever I'm doing there, like no one knows and no one can, I mean, no one needs to know, but I kind of need to survive. Yeah. And I was learning, I'm learning a lot of things and also learning a lot about myself. So I knew I was already getting scared about the possibilities of my own potential while I was out there. That's, frightened me more than the fear of not succeeding at whatever it was that I wanted to do. I knew how much opportunity I had when I was there and how many ideas I had and how possible it was. So it was definitely difficult. Um, yeah, like just explaining to my family that I know this is not very traditional what I'm trying to do, but I'm going to do it in the safest way possible. Um, 
And I'd, I'd kind of joke with my mom about it because I'm like, you really took me to IB and IB, the essence of IB was, you know, making you really question why you're doing a lot of the things you're doing and just yeah. doing it because many people have followed that path and it's it proves to be the more or the safer path, you know, doesn't mean that it's the ideal path. So, yeah, yeah there's definitely a lot of mm-hmm. contemplation. And until today... Um, I think I still experience things where I find myself in certain situations and I'm like, there's a path that I've chosen, but it could have easily been this other path. And I still have the opportunity to go down that other path, the traditional path, but I know why it is that I'm doing this thing and I know what I want to Mm -hmm. get out of it. So, yeah, it's definitely something that troubled me for quite some time, especially while I was out there alone. Yeah, yeah, you mentioned that of being out there alone. Um, mm. What other challenges did you face? And especially the challenge you as a person and also you as, you know, Angela doing architecture out there in Scotland. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel that, okay, the architectural course is already challenging enough, right? It's something yeah. that you know by the time you're getting into it, you probably won't have that much of a social life. And mm. as I mentioned, it's one of those courses that you you really can't rescue yourself with one exam, like just transmitting and, you know, cramming everything and passing the exam the next day. It yeah. really shows in your coursework how, how well or badly you're doing at the course. So it required a certain consistency and balance and... As I'm saying, like it's also a point where you're you're experiencing a lot of independence, a lot of freedom. You're in a whole different country. You want to explore things. You want to socialize, but you understand that you're there on this assignment that you have to complete, mm-hmm. and you have to kind of prioritize that. So I think naturally, um, I really learned how to prioritize things and. I mean, it wasn't by choice. I think I had the illusion of choice at the time, but I really didn't have a choice but to just learn how to be very comfortable being by myself in a foreign place and really working a lot on long-term projects that take a lot of energy, a lot of mental, you know, mental strength from you. They take a lot of dedication in terms of just committing to projects. And then... um, well, I was there, I mentioned that the, this environment was quite harsh physically, and I realized that the people who are there, they're still so happy, so you can't use the physical mm. environment as an excuse for why you're, you're feeling down or why you're struggling. So I was going through a lot of learning how to change myself and to change the way I look at life and the way I'm experiencing my life there. And... I loved architecture so much, but as I mentioned, by that point, I was already realizing that I don't want to be a traditional architect. I love architecture, but there's something that I love more, and I need to find a way to pursue that thing without fumbling whatever it is that I went there to do, right? Yeah. Yeah, and at that time also, uh, I mean, I made quite quite a few friends, and I was, I was going through a lot of... Um, challenges just in terms of my own self-awareness my own identity because it's a as I mentioned it's Scotland is a bit um, 
it's quite up north. There's not too many Kenyans who go there to study or mm. even East Africans. And the few Africans you find are pro- probably in Glasgow and I was all the way in Edinburgh. So Edinburgh had a lot of foreigners, but not necessarily like um, Kenyans. And I became very aware of my own blackness while I was out there. Mm. which could be ironic, but yeah, I became very aware of it. (laughs) And um, I met people out there, like there's a girl I met called EJ, who became one of my best friends. And she was black British, born in the UK. And she was going through this transition where she was really interested in her African heritage more than anything. And it's like she didn't know anything about it. She had barely ever been to Africa. And then here she met this girl who's come straight out of Africa, you know, and we're in the same class. And, like, she taught me more about my own culture and my own history than I knew. And I think that for me was a very crucial moment in my own life because it made me aware of what it was, like the opportunity that I had been there abroad. And it made me really consider what it was that I wanted to do in my life and who I am. So I think as much as I was going through challenges out there in terms of my identity and just figuring out this work-life balance, I was also meeting a lot of people who are making me become more conscious about who I am, you know? And I realized that I really need to know who I am out there if I want to be able to survive and to become, like, yeah, to become successful at whatever it is that I'm doing. Um, yeah, I hope that makes sense without me going too much off of a tangent. No, it does. It does. It really yeah. describes the, the challenges, especially being out there uh, alone and not near people that you're used to, not near people that are of the same culture as you. And as you mm-hmm. say, also being a black person there where there are not of, a lot of black folk being a black girl, especially, you know, in, in a completely different culture. Yeah. But you came out of it well. I mean, it sounds like you really learned more about yourself. You learned more about your career path. So it shows that you've made the right decision. I'm just wondering how you survived in the cold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I kept warm. <laughs> it's the best you can do. <laughs> yeah, and, um... Yeah, I liked architecture because we're also indoors a lot, you know, just working yeah. from home, mm. basically. And yeah. yeah, you could make it as comfortable as you wanted to be. Our studios were very comfortable and we had a kitchen, you know, because we knew we'd be spending a lot of time there. So, mm. yeah, that, that kind of stuff made it really, the environment was well, <laughs> well suited for that. Yeah, so being out there in in Edinburgh and all of the challenges that you mentioned that you faced, how did it affect and shape your mental health? Um, Right, so in terms of my mental health, I'd say that um, I really became aware of just of myself, you know, having a lot of self-awareness and understanding what kinds of things were causing me to to maybe struggle, whether it's a a physical thing or it's a a personal thing or it's something more like spiritual. 
and by spiritual i mean like you know sometimes when you really feel like whatever you're doing in your life is meaningless there's a way it can show up in your life as you know as a challenge but it's not it's not really a challenge it's just that you you're kind of living a meaningful a meaningless life rather so um i guess being out there and having to face my own reality and as much as i say i was alone i was i mean my my family and i have always been very close knit so they were always just a call away it's not like i ever suffered any anything tragic while i was there or had any experience i was necessarily bad anything that i was dealing with i could tell was either not either it was actually just based on on myself and my own outlook on on life you know and what it is mm-hmm. that i wanted out of life and my own yeah. expectations so i think i was very intentional about having a a good um support system um shout out once again to my brother eric eric was such yeah. a, a strong support system for me you know he's very empath and um, empathic and he he completely understands my my growth and my struggles so i think when i was yeah. experiencing that he had a lot of context to base it off of and he was quick at calling me out and making me recognize you know the agency yeah. that i had in those challenges and where i didn't have agency he was very quick to also guide me to like towards how to overcome whatever it was that i was overcoming and then also having my my friends at uni um these friends that I I was making were very intentional and there were very few but we made some very deep friendships that I hold dear mm. till today and as much as I knew that I needed to make friends within my course because those are the people you spend a lot of time with and like the better relationship you have with your classmates like the better your year is going to be really you're seeing these people every day for 12 hours plus so um i was also very intentional about having people in the place where i stayed who are not within my course or in my school to just be engaging with and just getting to understand life with and experience life with so yeah and more importantly also just having some good foundation as i mentioned my family they were very supportive um and um yeah there was always some guidance that i could fall back on when i needed it yeah yeah and that helped me with my my mental my mental health while i was out there yeah and also creating sorry of course i should have mentioned this but creating <laughs> you know i yeah. i started to look at my course as an opportunity for me to just be very expressive Yeah. and since architecture is not one of those things that are based on being right or wrong it's all about how you interpret your design how you justify that how you criticize your your own work that matters so it taught me some life skills that just made me find ways to just be intentional about making life better or easier for myself while I was at university I love that answer. Um and I think it was exactly what I was I was trying to understand more about you Angela. Um on just this talking about intentional decisions after university was it an intentional decision to move back to Nairobi or was it a plan from the very beginning? Yeah, so um 
moving back to Nairobi was it was a plan from the beginning like when I was going to Edinburgh I knew that I wanted to come back home immediately after and just um, you know build up my career from here because I guess I had this certain attachment to home which I still do Mm. yeah but I like to look at it more of as a as a calling these days not just an attachment yeah but um yeah, so I was very intentional about coming back after uni, but obviously while I was there and I got exposed to the different opportunities there and understanding why people, many people choose to leave Kenya or Africa, I came to realize, like, you know, some people don't really make that choice intentionally. Some of them feel like they must be out there. And for me... Um, towards the end of my course I definitely tried my best to to stay there because I contemplated just staying there a bit longer and making enough money before coming back home but the end goal was always to come back home so when I finished my studies I I I felt very convicted about the path that I wanted to pursue after speaking to my family and letting them know that I don't want to pursue the traditional architecture path but this is a plan of what I'm hoping to do or how to go about it, but it might require me coming back home because my visa doesn't really allow me to stay out here and practice self-employment, you know, or get into mm-hmm. a freelance space mm-hmm. without either being fully full-time employed, being under some kind of sponsorship there or extending my visa for studies or whatever. So, yeah, I did make that intentional decision to come back home after university although it was also based a lot on not have not putting in the systemic things that needed to be put into place when I should have done that for me to be able to stay there longer. Yeah. yeah. And I what, hope that's, what was that's it clear. like? Yeah, no, that's very clear. So what was mm-hmm. it like coming back home so you it sounds like you've made a lot of difficult decisions along the way Angela you know from pursuing a less you know children path um and then deciding to (laughs) and then deciding to become a freelancer you know post-university I think a lot of people are just like I sort of want to you know jump into a safety net but for you it's sort of like I'm gonna freelance and freelancing back in a space in Nairobi where like Art, um, I mean, this was not too long ago, but I think right now we still are in like the the toddler stage of art and the artistic space in Nairobi. Not that I live there, so I wouldn't really know, but from what I've seen anyways. And so to take that leap of faith into deciding to freelance as an artist, what was that like? And did you already have people that you knew who would help you find your own way? Right. So, I mean, allow me to just mention a few people and a few small happenings that were going on at the time simultaneously that Mm -hmm. gave me that conviction to just make that leap of faith. So I had mentioned my friend EJ, Ijatu, who I had met while I was at at university. And this girl and I were in the same course and... She was very passionate about photography and figuring out how an African identity. And there are times we would like spend nights working together, transmitting on like working on our coursework projects. And there are times we'd go to the library like in the middle of the night to get stuff printed. And then while we'd be in there, she'd stroll off into the, the library section and then 
she'd call me to go see the kind of books they have there. And she was really passionate about like traditional African photography, like the Malik Sidibes, you know, those guys who are really thriving in the 60s and the 50s, like capturing Africa, the essence of Africa those days. And her passion for it was so strong that that girl literally took a gap year out of school to travel to Africa, to literally dig into her roots and go to these places and see what was happening there and take her own photos. And then she would come back like after a year and just go on with her architectural education, right? Because she was also so sure she didn't want to become an architect, but she still wanted to finish her studies. So, I mean, her being my best friend and literally like the only other African girl like in my class, I felt like she's really abandoning me on this ship, you know, but oh. yeah, but I understood like for her, she she, she had the capacity and the, the systems are set in place for her to be able to do that. I couldn't take a gap year mm. without leaving the UK. I'd have to leave the UK, go back to Kenya and probably reapply and, you know, register back into school for me yeah. to be able to come back. Like it wasn't straightforward. And I felt like I don't need to be putting my family through all this um, burdens mm-hmm. just for the sake of my own exploration. So I, I kind of told her, you go ahead and do that when you come back. Like I'll be done and then I'll go ahead and do that, you know. And just seeing her take that leap of faith, like she never turned back. When she had the opportunity to come back to architecture school, she didn't come back. And she put together a portfolio for her photography that she had captured while she was in Africa. And she immediately got admitted to a master's course in photography. She didn't need her undergraduate for that, you know. And she was basically being paid to live the life that she wanted to live. So that really gave me a lot of validation in terms of, like, you know, when you're very convicted to do something... All you need to do is just take that leap of faith when you when you must, when you feel like the time is right and just go with the wave. And around the time when I was engaging with her, I came to learn a lot about like even Kenyans who were in a similar space as hers. Like I came across Osborne Masharia. At that time he he was doing this whole Black Panther campaign and he was pushing this whole thing for Afrofuturism. And Afrofuturism was a huge thing and I could see that not only is this guy pursuing a creative career in Kenya, but his background is in architecture, you know, and that for me really stood out. And then I came across like uh, Muto Madeka, for those of you who know him, the truth slinger. And when I got deep into his work, I also came to realize like this guy has a background in architecture, you know. So I started seeing a lot of similarities between people pursuing a certain path in life and, you know, having the discipline and the the knowledge gained in the architectural course to just become a free thinker. And which is another difference I noticed between the education system in Kenya and that one out there, you know. It doesn't limit you to just following a traditional path. Yeah, and then when I was about to finish university, I did speak to a lecturer of mine who's the dean of the course, and I just had a a bland conversation with her telling her that, I mean, I'm not doing badly at architecture. I know I'd make a great architect, but there's something else that I want to pursue more passionately. Like, I was kind of asking her for permission to do it. And the way she (laughs) gave me permission was to show me successful stories of like a particular architect who actually studied there at the same university as me and he's a Kenyan himself, you know, 
and he went on to start a very successful furniture design business that's called Studio Propolis. And right now he's being like commissioned by IKEA to make a whole collection of furniture for them. So I think oh, wow. just seeing those success stories and seeing how close they were to home for me and seeing yeah. that these are people who are also like not, they didn't hate architecture, but they used that to, um, yeah, they use it as a stepping stone into, you know, this space where they could pursue all these other things. It really gave me like the, the courage to take that leap of faith, especially when I was debating whether to come back home or not, because yeah. I felt like I can stay there and still make money, but that's the only reason I'd be staying there in the UK. Everything else I feel mm. must, that can be done or must be done is something that's happening here in Africa. Uh, yeah, as I mentioned, I was developing a very Pan-Africanist um, view on life. I mm. came to become very aware of my own identity. I realized how colonized like some of us are, you know? We don't even know why we go abroad or what, or what we go out there for. Sometimes mm. we just go with the wave and it's like, there's some really smart people from abroad who are coming back to Africa and there are reasons why they're also doing that, you know? They're not dumb to be coming back to, to Africa. There's clearly a lot of opportunities here. So I think all that just happening at the same time, it was intentional, but I was also seeing with my own eyes and it was making me feel like, yeah, my life is really in my own hands. I feel like I have no reason not to pursue whatever it is that I, I choose to pursue. But I also knew it wasn't going to be easy, you know? It's something that yeah. doesn't have a very good track record, as you've mentioned. Succeeding as an artist was, you know, a self-employed person or a freelancer in, in Africa, you know, live alone Kenya. So, yeah, it was also a time when people are complaining a lot of unemployment, and I got the usual questions of how can you study architecture and you don't want a job it's like I, I didn't say I don't want a job but um, yeah this architecture has exposed me to a lot of things that I can't unlearn and I can't go back and start doing things that I don't believe in anymore after this mm. whole experience I've been through so I think just having yeah those examples of people who I saw doing things here in Kenya, you know, taking a leap of faith and still succeeding at whatever it is that they're doing was really yeah. grounding for me. And yeah, when I got that opportunity, I'm like, I'm young. If I was probably, you know, if it was 10 years from now, I probably wouldn't have that comfort, you know. If I had yeah. dependence, I probably wouldn't have that comfort to actually take that leap. So I was like, let me just try it while I can. And if it doesn't work out, at least I've been able to secure my bachelor's, I've been able to secure my master's. And then even like the IB thing, I've been able to like secure my diploma. So at least I have the papers, so I can always fall back on that if this doesn't work out as smoothly as I expect. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, that's, that's it. It was just deciding to ride on that wave when I had the momentum and there were so many signs around me that I do want to ignore. So seeing other people's uh, success stories and other girls' success stories, what would you want Angela's success story to be? 
in that where do you see yourself in five years time oh okay <laughs> right that's a that's a, a tough one <laughs> um tough only because um i don't know i find myself having experienced quite a few things um in terms of my career trajectory that are making me more open-minded to what the possibilities of the future can be. So I try not to limit my thinking by putting it in a box, but ideally what I would say is I definitely see myself being, first of all, like an established like visual artist um, mm. with my artwork on many walls around the city and many people's homes. And this wouldn't just be for commercial purposes, but as I mentioned before, I really see my art as a gift, you know. It's something that I was born with. I find it very purposeful to to share this gift to the world. So that's one thing I hope to have definitely achieved in five years. Um, another thing is to possibly be running an established, like, multidisciplinary creative and cultural practice that's focused like in the field of architectural design and technology. And that basically encompasses everything that I'm passionate about. I didn't get too much into how I am into technology and architectural technology and some of the projects that I've been working on, but I hope to just continue on that trajectory and to have established a, yeah, a, a full-on practice that focuses on offering products and services in that space. And I also see myself doing a lot of community-based interventions in one way or another, which is basically the social side of architecture and design. And Mm. yeah, over the past year, I've been able to secure a couple of basically unrestricted grants and funding to pursue my own projects and my own passions. And this just comes from well-wishers or from cultural institutions that really understand like what empowering creatives with, with money and with resources can do in terms of creating high-impact solutions. So just based on that trajectory, I see myself doing a lot of projects that are not commercial, but really create a lot of impact with low-cost um, solutions. Yeah, but I'm really open-minded to what each step leads me to. Yeah, as you know, arts is a very liberal liberal space, so there's no rhyme or, or reason sometimes to why you do things, but yeah, I think just taking it one step at a time, I, I find myself being led to the right spaces and to the right people. I mean, first of all, like I think what you've achieved, Angela, has been incredible. I'm just smiling this whole time, just listening to you. Um, I think as someone who's just been watching your journey and I think well, like this is for people who are listening, this is the second time I've met Angela, but it feels like I've known her my whole life. And every time I've seen Angela on Instagram and will come to when she was on radio as well in a bit, um, or, you know, we've talked to, I've talked to Eric and he's telling me about how you've been doing and everything. And I've just, it's sort of like, it's like, a, this is like a big system moment, just seeing how much you've achieved in such a short period of time. And I'm so, so proud of you. And I'm very excited to see what you achieve. And I think you, you describe them as well wishes, but I think they're people who see your potential. They see your gifts and they're willing to continue to 
empower you to thrive um, the way that you should be. And I, it's very exciting to hear the plans that you have to pass that on to other people. And this is what this podcast is about, is sharing information and empowering people. And I hope this is another thing that empowers you to keep doing what you're doing as well. Yeah. Um, Thank you so much, Cynthia, for your kind words. Yeah, definitely appreciate it. You're most welcome. And um, yeah, coming to you being on radio, I mean, girl, tell us all about it. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah, so, I mean, I really, I'm really the shyest person, you know, but yeah, I've been challenged with a lot of, of things the past year that have forced me to get out of my shell and really just become confident in who I am. So, as I mentioned, during my architectural course, I, there's a particular unit that I did that was so interesting and quite um, critical in the trajectory that I ended up taking in my career. So there was this particular unit we did that was called Mad Thought, Architectural Explorations, and it challenged us to think completely out of the box and to think about architectural potential Um, within digital narrative space. So what this means is um, as much as architecture is a regulated career where you design based on physical laws like gravity and materials and and weight, um, there's also a side of it that is not necessarily uh, tangible, like the, you know, like the, the ethical side of architecture, you know? There's something about like designing dignified spaces for people and about how people actually feel while they're within those spaces and how they experience new spaces. So during this course, I got introduced into this technology called extended reality technology, which is basically an umbrella term for virtual reality, augmented reality and mixed reality concepts. So in short, for those who might not know exactly what this is, VR involves the putting on of our head-mounted gear and basically being transported into a different virtual environment. And augmented reality is what we see a lot on Snapchat and Instagram with the filters. It basically adds digital layers onto something physical in the real life. So. While I did that course, I really got exposed to a whole side of architecture that like, got us working with um, coders and with media and entertainment students, as I had mentioned. And then we're working with guys in the film department, we're working with engineering like acoustic students. And the idea was to just curate architectural experiences that don't necessarily need to be built And then finding ways to use that as a solution to various things. So, yeah, what got me on the radio is because when I, part of me coming back to Kenya and pursuing my own career, my own independent career, allowed me to really experiment a lot with different technology to really build my own portfolio in terms of my own artwork. And I looked at this technology as a way to add value to my artwork. So instead of just selling a physical painting, I'd do the physical painting and then add digital layers onto it where I tell people now when you scan this painting, the painting will come to life and you can use this for your marketing. You can use it just for entertainment. And um, the more I told my brother about it, he he introduced me to a, a friend of his called Isa and I mean, I knew of Isa, but I didn't know that he was actually working in that space of this technology. 
And Isa introduced me to this company called Black Rhino VR that basically focuses on the implementation of this technology and making it accessible to people. So I got into a program that was about seven months long. It was a training program that was funded by um, the Gotte Institute of Kenya and their creative and cultural initiative called Janga CCI. And it basically gave us access to this technology and empowered us to be able to, to use it. And then it resulted in an exhibition at the end of the seven-month course. So the reason why this became something of interest to the public was because this is a technology that's really being widely adopted in terms of the metaverse that many of us have possibly heard about, you know. It's about making people get more connected, making experiences more realistic and, um, yeah, just basically increasing the intimacy between clients and services. And it's something that really shot up during the COVID period. And while as a university, we were kind of prepared for things like COVID because the things we're learning are so futuristic that they tell you to imagine a time when people will be working from home. And that time COVID was never in the picture. So I think just coming to Kenya, I was open to such opportunities. And I did a virtual reality project that was basically surrounding it that basically explored architectural potential rather so i curated a whole architectural space an architectural environment rather using the virtual headset and we got people to come and view the exhibition and i guess mine was of a bit of interest to to the public because i was showing them a practical way of using this creative technology using this art form and this technology to come up with real life solutions within the architectural industry. Yeah, so as I'd mentioned earlier, architecture is something that I love so much. I've never like steered away from the, the love of architecture, but it's something that I do want to practice in the traditional sense. So a lot of the projects that I do, even my own self-directed projects, I try to bring them back to architecture one way or another. So for me, this was kind of the, you know, that point of intersection where my creativity could really be used in a practical sense to solve real life solutions. And for anyone who understands architecture, it's, it's still very much in a static phase where you're looking at either 2D images or 3D models, or, you know, going as deep as looking at virtual renders, but then there's nothing that really allows you to feel the sense of a space without you being inside that space, you know? One of the challenges in architecture is when clients get into their house, they're like, I thought that window would be much bigger than this. So that virtual reality technology mm. basically allows you to actually put on the headset and get an actual sense of, of scale of this window, like you're immersed into your environment. So it's it's something that's not very necessary. It's a bit of a step above uh, traditional uh, uh, the traditional presentations of drawings to clients, but it's something that's also being widely adopted in in foreign countries and in the West. And I just saw like that would be a good thing to capitalize on here within this Kenyan economy. I'd be able to practice my art and my creativity, but still offer a practical solution for that. <clears throat> Sorry, so that's exactly what I was on the radio talking about. Um, 
Yeah, but it was thanks to that particular program that I got onto that was called State of the Art. Yes. I mean, that has just blown my mind. I think when it's you phenomenal. initially, phenomenal. I was like, um, I don't know what this girl is talking about. This yeah. is like <laughs> a bit too <laughs> above mm. my IQ. <laughs> mm-hmm. But then as you talked more about it and talked about the VR headset and giving people an idea of what their house is going to look like, yeah. I think that really brought it home for me. Um, and it just sounds so incredible and so cool and something that will definitely change the way people think about art and architecture coming together. Um, and I am just really looking forward to seeing what you do, um, Angela, and where you take this um, and continue seeing you thrive um, as a freelancer um, as well. Um, yeah, thank you so much, Cynthia. Yeah, I do appreciate that. And I, I know it's a lot, but um, yeah, I'm really trying to yeah, it's it's something that we actually interact with every day. This kind of technology, mm. as I mentioned, Instagram and Snapchat filters. That's a particular technology I'm I'm working with, but I'm just looking for more practical ways to implement it into into businesses and with a focus on architecture, engineering, and construction. Yeah, but but thanks for that encouragement. You're welcome. Yeah. I think that brings us to the end of our conversation today, Angela. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Um, and as we usually round up, round up um, where can our guests find you? Um, socials, websites, share them with us. And even your art as well, if it's, if it's out there, where can they have a look and mesmerized by Angela's work? <laughs> yes, yeah, so um, you can definitely find me on Instagram, this as Angie Shauri, which is Angie with like A N G double E dot Shauri, C A U R I. And my Instagram profile, I think, is where I'm most active socially. And when you're there, um, my portfolio website is linked in my bio. So it will lead you directly to my portfolio where you can see a lot of the art projects that I've done in the past and architectural projects as well. And basically anything that I've not posted on Instagram. Um, You can also find me on LinkedIn for anyone who has any particular question or interest in whatever it is that I am doing. Um, Yeah, that's basically it. And also physically, if you are in Nairobi, um, I can just plug myself. But if you do go to like the Buibo restaurant that is in Westlands, there are a few murals that are there that I did myself. And Ooh, that to me is, yeah, so I've also learned how to just nurture certain relationships and to get my art out there no matter what it takes. And I had mentioned I really want to share my art to the world. So I'm on a mission to do murals on murals within the city. And yeah, hopefully with time, people will be able to associate them with, with me and my style. So That's amazing. I'm actually going there yeah. tomorrow. So I'll, I'll definitely... Oh, really? Nice. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm so excited nice now. Nice thing. <laughs> yeah, now you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, yeah that's, that's, that's all, basically. Um, I think everything else can, like, everything is just uh, well gathered within those three different places. Yeah. Nice. 
Well, thank you so much, Angela, for taking the time to be on the podcast. Um, and we're looking forward to interviewing you in the next five years to see catch up, see what you've been doing. And I'm sure you have an, a whole other story to tell us. And we're very excited to see that. Um, for our listeners, don't forget to follow us on Instagram. Um, leave a rating and a review on whenever you listen, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And yeah, just send in a voice note um, at the end of this podcast or ask a question to Angela and let us know what you thought about this episode. And yeah, and we'll catch you on the next one. Take care. Take care. Take care. Thank you for tuning into another episode of A Kenyan's Experience. If you found this episode inspiring or even helpful, then please do us a solid and share it with close friends or family or even just share it to the world. We appreciate you. Hit us up. Check out that new feature, the voice notes. Let us know what you think about this episode. We'd love to hear back from you.